Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we ask that you take out your number two sharpened pencils and fill in with us this forthcoming thought bubble with NPR's lead education blogger, Anya Kamenetz, who recently wrote the book, The Test, Why Our Schools Are Obsessed with Standardized Testing, But You Don't Have to Be. Welcome to Harvard and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, Anya. Thank you, Matt. So you're here as part of a panel discussion called High Stakes Testing, The Good, The Bad, Not the Ugly, But What's Next. And maybe we'll frame this interview this way. Your book, The Test, explores all sides of testing. And I bet you our audience would be really interested in knowing a little bit of the origin story of standardized testing, where it kind of started, and then we can work our way through the good, the bad, and maybe we'll even get to the ugly. (laughs) All right. So the notion that, you know, human behavior has a natural range of performance and that you can graph that behavior usually with a bell curve really dates back to the 1700s and actually the first discipline to use uh, this information was astronomy because they needed some way to reconcile the variations in uh, transit times that would be recorded at different observatories Um, and this bell curve notion became extremely useful became incorporated in sort of into industrial age societies and into um, you know by sort of early Uh, scientists who wanted to really establish that psychology was, uh, in fact, a science. And um, unfortunately, it sort of, because of its origins, became rolled up with some very ugly ideology around what exactly intelligence is. You know, yes, we know that intelligence is, you know, Walter Lippmann said in 1922, you know, in a general way, intelligence is, is the ability to deal successfully with whatever life brings you. But after that, you'll soon lose you lose yourself in a fog of controversy. Um, but you know the the notion that intelligence sort of gifted to us from the nineteenth century that that the most salient points about human achievement are fixed and hereditary and and unitary that they're you know we really should be measuring where people are at a point in time on a certain limited set of skills. Um, I think it's not serving us very well in the twenty first century. So it's sort of a natural transition that let, let's take these models and apply them to schools and in into as a way to assess learning across the board at this point in time during kindergarten, during first grade, and the second grade. When did standardized testing really become a big thing in public schools? Well, you know, it, it, its influence grew kind of throughout the 20th century because the idea was that it was a scientific and objective way to reconcile, you know, the, the faulty human judgment of teachers. Um, but, you know, it really gained serious steam with the No Child Left Behind law in 2002. And this was, of course, the federal law signed, um, you know, bipartisan sponsorship. Ted Kennedy was a major sponsor. And it imported the model that had first uh, started under George W. Bush's uh, reign in Texas as governor, where every school would be tested every single year in math and reading in third through eighth grades, and that the test results would be broken out by subgroup, um, minorities, English language learners, low-income students, learning disabled. And these um, test scores, very, very importantly, are tied to consequences, not just for students, but for schools, for districts, and increasingly for teachers as well. A level of accountability, and you know, people like to quantify how is someone learning? Well, these numbers can say whether someone's learning or whether someone's not and make the teachers and the schools and the districts accountable for the work that they're putting in. 
That is uh, the system as it was sold. Um, even at the time, however, that that um, Bush was running for president and promulgating these ideas, reports were starting to surface that, unfortunately, when you attach such high stakes to any outcome measure, you're going to incentivize some pretty bad behavior as well. We're seeing that literally today in Atlanta and all sorts of places across the country. Well, that's exactly right. And the point's been made. You know, the Atlanta cheating scandal is very high profile, um, you know, 11 felony convictions, certainly a huge deterrent. But but cheating of that type has been documented in 39 states plus Washington, D.C. So it's by no means outlier behavior. This begs the question, what is the good? I mean, it seems like from a policymaker standpoint and in the pitch, things in a lofty theoretical way sound good. But in the in the granular level, uh, some insights about what's good because this is a very polarizing issue and I'm sure there's people listening to the podcast going hey standardized testing's good please share the good things about it so <laughs> as the arbiter of both sides Anya, <laughs> by all means the good the strongest arguments I've always heard in favor of, of standardized testing is uh, are in fact um, First of all, the idea that we're going to shine a spotlight on the performance of previously disadvantaged or forgotten groups. Um, And this is sort of the achievement gap argument. It's why mainstream civil rights groups continue to support some kind of mandatory annual testing. Um, And then, you know, you have this sort of slippery notion of objectivity or accountability that if we don't have comparable information on student performance, we're going to, you know, lose ourselves in that fog of controversy again, that we won't be able to have a real honest conversation without sliding off into the soft bigotry of low expectations. And, and the bad is obviously it seems like a, a bigger piece of the, the media coverage and, and in many ways that both the student and teacher experience. I mean, what when you talk to people about scenarios testing, is it worse for the, for the students or for the teachers? Well, that's a tough question. Um, you know, there's there's a significant proportion of students whose experience of school is being negatively defined by these tests. And it's not just the students that do poorly on the tests. Of course, that's a very big part of it. Um, you have students that, that deal with severe test anxiety, even though they're generally good at school. And you have students for which, you know, the joy and excitement of school of learning is really being sucked out um, because their school is in such a high pressure environment. But I would say, Matt, that, you know, the people that have responded most strongly to my book are teachers. And it's because they feel that there's sort of a silent crisis going on where their ability to engage in their work, to have autonomy in their work, which is such a major motivator for most professionals, um, is really being taken away from them because these high stakes tests define how they should do their jobs almost on a minute by minute, day by day basis. And that makes it really hard for any teacher who is inventive, who wants to be creative, who wants to connect with their students, who wants to depart from the printed curriculum one day, it makes it very hard for them to do their jobs. It it disincentivizes them to be entrepreneurial in their classroom. So we have the what's next now. Uh, Your book has been described as, quote, uh, offering a glimpse into the future of better tests. So you're not necessarily saying get rid of standardized tests, but better tests. What does a better test look like in the future? Well, uh, I I have four teams in the book. I've got Team Monkey, Team Butterfly, Team Robot, and Team Unicorn. And (laughs) you're going to need to explain those too. Yeah. So, so these are all ways of looking at the frontiers of testing. Team Robot's about using kind of big data approaches and analytics to get a little bit of information about students every single day instead of having to stop and test at the end of the year. Um, Team Monkey is about 
what are the social and emotional aspects that we could be taking in about students, about schools in a low stakes way, integrating perhaps, again, it's sort of in a big data framework, information about um, behavior, about attendance, that is all goes to the notion of what are we promoting in this school? Is this school a healthy ecosystem for learning? Um, team Butterfly is where I talk about teacher-created assessments, broadly speaking, portfolios, performance-based assessment, integrated, formative, authentic assessments, and what could be their role in going forward in sort of reporting out the kind of information that we seem to have deemed that we need in our public schools. And then Team Unicorn is perhaps a fanciful uh, future. This is the idea of perhaps game-based assessments, simulations, um, notions that try to get at higher order 21st century skills and do so in a way that again is very rich in data. And that richness in data plays right into all the innovations happening with ed tech and, and allows that creativity to permeate through the classroom. Well, I think one of the most important innovations that we've had in accountability actually in the last um, several years is the introduction of statewide longitudinal data systems. You know, it's much more powerful to talk about how students are progressing through high school into college. Do they need remediation when they get to college? This is actionable information. It It incentivizes important actions and it's broader based. It's not trying to dictate the means as well as the ends. And so, you know, rather than define proficiency narrowly as a score on a given test on, on two subject matter areas, um, looking at how students progress one day into the workforce could be far more powerful. So our listeners, a lot of them are teachers, our parents, our people who are probably, you know, not unaware of the issues with standardized tests what can they do now you know they can go out and buy your book the test or they can uh they can stop this podcast and what do you what do you say is the call to action for them right now to go and improve their child's situation or it, just as a good citizen whether they have a child or not to improve this this system uh that's in place right now that's a great question you know this is an issue making its way into politics. There's, uh, I talk about the opt-out movement. I talk about parents making that individual decision really as an act of civil disobedience. And it's a really interesting notion. You don't see that too often in terms of parents intervening directly into their kids' education. Um, that's leading to involvement in some places in school board elections, in Chicago in the mayoral election. This is how to roll the play. So I think that, you know, there are the odds are good that wherever you live, there are state-based political issues and groups that that can help you think through these testing issues and how they might relate to not only to your kid, but to your futures. So when you write a book about something, you become the, the true authority on that subject. And you go out and you give book talks, you give interviews, and you get uh, people coming from both sides. What has surprised you the most in this book tour? You know, you've written about education for a large portion of your career, but this specific subject of standardized testing, it's very, it can be venomous at times. <laughs> what, uh, what, what do you experience and, and, and do you find yourself uh, defending or supporting certain pieces uh, as the now very much a national spokesperson of this uh, and a content expert? That gives me a little bit of pause. I guess I would say that, you know, I, I try to skate above the fray in the sense that I didn't write the book um, particularly as a polemic. I, I do see us in an interesting situation in the sense that 
Uh, no one really defends the status quo when it comes to testing and accountability, but we seem to be a little bit stuck. And so where I find the most excitement is sort of intervening in these conversations between people that are trying to imagine these futures, often technologists, entrepreneurs, um, and um, activists who feel you know very, very motivated and impassioned to say that we can't do this anymore, enough is enough, and particularly for teachers, those are the people who really responded most strongly to the book, that um, you know we need to have an open dialogue about this because this is affecting their ability to do their jobs, which we all agree are the most important jobs, um, not only in schools, but in some cases in the world. The book is The Test, Why Our Schools Are Obsessed with Standardized Testing, but you don't have to be on you. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. I'm coming to Harvard today. Thank you. And I know you're a Yaley, so this is probably a, <laughs> a real sacrifice for you. Oh, well, you know, it's always good to see the other side. Okay, we'll get you home soon. This is the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.